Nate Wilson is a best-selling author and producer whose work spans from fantasy series, uh, documentaries like The Riot and the Dance, ninja cartoons like Hello Ninja, and podcast host. And those are just a few of his works. Nate, thanks so much for coming on Takeaways again. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, I want to talk with you about creativity today. You're one of the most creative and prolific creators that I know, and I love just the the way you approach the whole subject of creative projects. And not only have you done books and TV shows and documentaries, but you're also so theologically thoughtful about the way you engage with creative works that I want to start our conversation by speaking of the theology of creativity and then circle back around to some practical tips for all creatives. Are you game? I'm I'm down. Okay. So talk about why it's so important to understand that we are made in the image of God, the original creator, and how that helps us be good creatives. First off, we should all want to be like God, right? We all want to be like him. We're made in his image and we're supposed to be refining that image and pursuing it further and further. Mm. Um, then when we look at his creativity, we should be looking at his art and then and trying to train our own artistic instincts based on his artistic instincts because we're made in his image. We're supposed to reflect him. So when we look at what kind of things he's actually crafting, World War II, it's like these story, these things that happen in his in his stories. Ultimately, the cross, the sacrifice, you know, the the love that exceeds all other love. But then also butterflies, dung beetles, chameleons, you know, monkeys, gibbons that really are just whipping around with their hands, orangutans, blue whales, little seahorses, all all these things that are everywhere. Every one of them is another piece in his museum that we can come to. And not just read the story of Samson, the story of David, which I love, and we should be inspired by those as well, but look at every little tiny piece of art that he's crafted and then inform our own. Like, how do we inform our own instincts? So when ladybugs are looking as ridiculous as they do, their little armored round cartoony shells marching around maple trees, looking to snack on aphids. It's like when they're, when they're marching around, we know there's an artist who made that up and he's a cartoonist. Like, the, like these are cartoons and we should be imitating this. We should be joyful and funny and taking pleasure and hilarity. But then we see these big grand stories of self, self-sacrifice, these, these tales of heroic deeds and, you know, the Samson's Davids, but uh, those men who laid down their lives for us in foreign beaches, those things too. We see the cross and that's how we know that, that those sacrifices are beautiful. Those sacrifices are absolutely noble and profoundly uh, profoundly beautiful mm. is because we see what he does in his stories. And then we try to live those stories ourselves. So a lot of people will say, I'm not a creative. The, unfortunately you are like, like it or not, you are one. You're writing your own dialogue. You're writing your own scenes. You're a character that he sends into a scene and you have to write it with no edits, zero edits, one take go. Like, and you come in, you get in a car wreck. Somebody bumps into you at the grocery store and God's like, hey, write the dialogue, write the scene. How are you going to do? Are you going to be like Christ? Are you going to be like me? How are you going to tell this story? How are you going to tell the story? And then we get all flustered and we're mad and we might feel bad about it later in the car, but we don't think of it as what it actually is, which is a failure to imitate God and having been a terrible creator. We just wrote bad dialogue. We just wrote a bad scene. 
Uh, and God is so gracious that he gives us like wet concrete to write scenes in. And then it just cures and goes by. So we're writing dialogue. We don't get revisions. And there it goes. It's gone. That scene is now set in stone for all of history, for all of time. That scene is the way it is. And there's no revisions. And so we have, to, we have to be struggling and striving to be getting better and better and better as artists, because he is one. He's an artist, and he's the perfect artist. So theologically, every single one of us on this earth should be striving to become better and better artists real time, uh. constantly. I mean, that's, and ultimately, that, the theology is very simple. It's just that we're made in his image. He's an artist. Therefore, we are artists. And we have to strive to improve, improve, improve till the day we die. It's like we're in a constant improv class right now, yep. making up our own dialogue, writing our own scene. That's a whole different way to, to look at the world. So, so do, do you think many creatives in the world have the whole concept wrong where it's just about, hey, I'm just, I'm just making stuff. I'm just, I'm expressing whatever's on the inside of me. I want it to come onto the outside in my music and my stories. Uh, and they have no thought about trying to imitate creative things the way that God creates. In the, in the modern world, really post the Romantic era, artists tend to think of self-expression. Like art is about just expressing myself and, and putting myself on the canvas. But when we imitate God, when we do try to approach our creativity and imitate him uh, accurately, what we end up doing is we end up trying to deliver art to an audience that is good and healthy for them. So we start to view ourselves more like a UPS guy Rather than trying to be like a super fancy artist everybody admires as a genius, I want everybody to think I'm so amazing. I want to, I want to express myself and get fame and fortune. Like, no, I'm, I'm a dude in short brown shorts and weird socks driving a weird van just trying to deliver a package. I'm just trying to give you a package. And so whether I'm writing a TV show, whether I'm writing a novel, whatever it is, I'm trying to find something that will be good for you and good for as many people as it can be good for. And then I'm trying to hand it out. You know, like I'm, I'm more like somebody handing out samples at a Costco than I am like somebody receiving an Oscar. I'm not trying to get like worshipped and hailed as I stand up there with my little gold statue. I'm trying to sacrifice myself. I'm trying to lay myself down the way Christ did. So put on my little hairnet, even though I don't have any hair, hand out samples, <laughs> as, many, as many things as I can. And I'm trying to give as much good stuff away as I can possibly give away in my lifetime. Because ultimately, that's what grace is like. That's what Christ is like. That's what he did with his art. So he gives constantly, constantly gives. And that's what we should be trying to do as well. So on, on my podcast, Stories Are Soul Food, this is something I come back to over and over and over again, that I'm, I'm trying to make really good food. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to hand out like clean water, good food. I'm trying to bake cookies. When I write kids fiction, I'm like trying to bake really great cookies for, his, for millions of kids. But ultimately, if I, if I totally imitate God and what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to make the cookie as good as I can make it. It's on him to give the increase. So I, I could write this thing. I could create this thing and it could go to 50,000 people. Or I could write this thing and it could go to 15 million people. It's ultimately up to him how he's going to use it. Like I'm trying to imitate him. I'm trying to reach people with my art. But the most important thing is that I, I imitate him in both my craft and in my relationship to the audience. So how do I relate to the audience? Do I want them to hail me or am I willing to like work and sweat and bleed and, and lay myself down to try to give them something good and beautiful? Uh. And it doesn't matter what kind of glory I get out of it. 
What matters is, did I give them something true, good, and beautiful? Did I imitate Christ in that way? And whether we have an audience of our own kids, an audience of our neighbors, an audience of somebody in the, you know, the grocery store checkout line, doesn't matter if your audience is 10 million, 1 million, or five. Like you have an audience. We live in the presence of others. We craft our scenes. We craft our artistry every single day, constantly. Uh, and we have, we have to try to actually get it to a place where somebody gets this aroma of beauty and joy and goodness from just having like been around us and exchanged words briefly in a grocery store. Uh. It's like where that's like, you really like get to a place where you're very kind, instinctive uh, in how you actually craft your scenes, the scenes that God's given you. This is so cool. Now, one of the big differences between us as creatives and the creator is that uh, the Bible speaks of God creating things out of nothing. Before anything was, he creates all of it and brings it into existence. Yep. What does that tell us about the nature of the creator? <laughs> Ab absolute authority, complete transcendence. I mean, just omnipotence beyond space-time. Uh, it tells us that he's truly phenomenal, like absolutely phenomenal. Uh, because what we do is we constantly do collage work. You and I and every other human creator, we're just, we got scissors and glue. We're just cutting stuff and we're pasting it together to try to take elements from his story and put it together into something good. Uh, when a weaver bird starts weaving a really complex nest and they do these amazing things where they, they do this, these feats of engineering where they tie grass to a little branch and they hang a sack nest from these little branches. They weave these intricate sacks. They love to weave. When a weaver bird does that, that bird is going to pick in grass that God already made. Like they're going to a tree that God already made. They're weaving this nest that, you know, all the materials have been made for them beforehand by God. We're the same way. We're just weaver birds. Like we've been created as these, these creatures inside this glorious world. And we pick up materials that he left here for us. And then we imitate him by trying to craft the best stuff we can. Uh, and even, even unbelievers are imitating God whenever they're creating art. And sometimes they sort of accidentally hit something that really honors God and imitates God, but they're still doing it for their own selves. They're still doing it for money or fame or for anything else. But you can hit these stories and say, man, that, that is great. Like, that is great. That, that person, that artist is clearly an image bearer. Clearly God made this this guy, because he just did this amazingly beautiful thing. Mm. He did it for completely flawed reasons, but it still glorifies God. We can't help but glorify God. And we're going to glorify God either as cautionary tales, bad examples, like we're going to end up exhibiting God's mercy, like in this world, or we're going to be exhibits of his wrath and his judgment. Like, but ultimately, all of us in this story are going to end up reflecting aspects of God's character in our relationship to him and our relationship to the world. Mm, that's such an important point. And, 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 a, and a stern warning to atheists that you can't write yourself out of the story just by saying you don't believe in the author. Uh, each one of no. us has a role to play. And like you said, we will either be trophies of God's kindness and mercy or will be evidence of his holiness and his wrath and his, his justice. Whew, that's, yeah. uh, that, that's a lot to think about. Nate, before we go to the break, let me ask you, what role does the Holy Spirit play in creativity? I would say it varies. It varies completely. And so there are times, I think, when you see scripture and other things, when David's writing the Psalms, what role did the Holy Spirit play in that creativity? When David's writing Psalm 22, it's like, well, the Holy Spirit was obviously present and inspiration was heavy. What role does the Holy Spirit 
play when the Simpsons episodes are being written. It's like, well, none of us exist apart from God. All of us are held in his hand. None of us exist at all. We are all held here in this reality by the active creativity of God. So this is the extra layer of the theology. We are actively being created. God is an active artist. He didn't set this up and then sit back and watch. He's actively shaping and holding all of us while we do this. So the Holy Spirit holds us all. But there's, there's sometimes when inspiration is more direct, uh, and we see that in David's Psalms. And there's other times when we just say, man, it's weird the Simpsons just kept predicting stuff. It's just, I don't know. I don't know what I can say. I can say, that's kind of funny. And that's, God obviously has a sense of humor. So this, you know, this is funny. But there's, there's no way for me to actually know the exact role that the Holy Spirit had. Uh, I will say this, though. If you sit down and you watch a really great performance of Handel's Messiah, you know, perform your up front and you're sitting in front of a world-class symphony, it will melt your face off. It's probably the highest achievement of Christian art ever to date, and it will blow your mind. And were, were Handel's motives entirely pure? No, of course not. If you're sitting there watching the performance and you're seeing the soloists and the soloists might be atheists or whatever, does that matter? It's like, no, it doesn't. Like this amazing beauty has come together, been brought together. And there's no question that it happened under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It can't happen without it. None of us exist without being perpetually held in existence by God. So there's, but is it inspired like the scriptures are inspired? No, it's not. But could it exist without him? No, of course not. It couldn't. All right, Nate, I want to get really practical with you. Have you ever felt like God gave you a specific project to do, that this wasn't just your idea? I mean, it was your idea, but, but somehow you say, God made me to do this project at this time. If so, uh, w- what's an example of that? The best way to put it would be to say that there's times when it feels like it'd be disobedience to not do something. Mm. Where it's, it's not necessarily, I don't have some deep cosmic inspiration, but I feel like I've been given some instructions. And... One of these times was my first middle grade novel, Lee Pike Ridge. And the way I could describe this is I was brushing my teeth. I was trying to write the 100 covered, the first novel of the 100 covered series. So I was working on something that was going to eventually become a big bestseller. Like there, I'm, I'm working on this fantasy novel, 100 covers, and I'm, I'm giving up for the nights like one in the morning. I go to uh, the bathroom and I'm brushing my teeth. And while I'm brushing my teeth, an opening sentence hits me. Like, just boom, there's a sentence in my head and I'm brushing my teeth and I stop and I'm sitting here thinking and I'm just turning the sentence over and over in my head and I'm thinking, I have to write this down right now. Like, I, have, I just have to write it down. Like, I'm supposed to write this down. And it's not a big pious or holy sentence. It was just a fun sentence. But I knew I have to go write this down. So I, I run back through the dark house to my computer with my toothbrush sticking out of my mouth, my cheeks full of toothpaste. And I sit down and I, type, I open up a new doc and I type the first sentence. And then it brings a friend and turns into a paragraph. And then those paragraphs multiply. And it just starts going like this. The story's just going. And I'm sitting here, you know, just going, going, going. And probably more than an hour later, my wife flicks the light on. I've been sitting in the pitch black house with just a computer monitor glowing. And I told her I was coming to bed and she'd already gone to bed. And she flicks the light on and I look over at her and it was at that moment I realized I still had toothpaste in my mouth. 
So if you think about how disgusting toothpaste is, I I sat there with my mouth full of toothpaste for more than an hour with a toothbrush sticking out of my mouth, you know, just just typing. And as soon as you flicked the light on, I realized like, oh, mm, and I just sprinted in the kitchen and spat it all out in the sink and started put my mouth under the tap. And I completely lost all sense of taste, all sense of self-awareness. I lost any concept of what time it was or who I was or where I was. I was just writing the story. And I was just getting as much down as I could before I lost it. Cause it was just, it was just arriving. I mean, it was just like, I, I felt like I was just documenting something that was, that was just coming really, really, really quickly. And so that turned into the novel Lee Pike Ridge, which was published before one undercovers, but I actually had already written a whole draft mm. of one undercovers. And this, this new thing popped in and my agent, uh, my agent sent out the first couple chapters right when I wrote them and to publishers. And I told him, don't worry, it'll be fine. They take forever. Publishers take forever. So he circulated those, those opening pages around New York. And basically everybody came back and said, we want the whole manuscript. We want it right now. Like, we really like, we really want this. And he told them in his infinite wisdom, I'll get it to you in two weeks. And so he called me and said, Hey, you've got two weeks to finish this novel. And I was like, a novel. I was going to, and luckily as I sat down and started working on it, it just, it just came. I mean, it just flowed. So two weeks later, we turned a not we turned a novel in, and had you know five offers from New York houses, and it's there's these other things where you bang your head on the wall, you bang your head on the wall, you're trying to get it to work. It should work. This should work. This is a great idea, and it's hard to write. It's hard to execute, and you keep trying to force it. Like man, I guess I got to get inspiration. How do I conjure up inspiration? And I think there's a certain amount that we just have to listen. Stop, stop trying to find the thing that we, in our infinite wisdom, think would be best and try to find those things that are being given right now. And sometimes people want to be making a big, serious, you know, a big, serious moving, you know, feature that's going to just change the world, but they should be making ninja cartoons. You know, it's like, that's, and that, that yeah. happened to me as well. So I'm, I made, I made four seasons of ninja cartoons for Netflix, but at the time I was trying to push these big, serious, massive feature films that I thought would really affect mankind for the good. And God said, how about ninja cartoons? Let's do those. Yeah. That, that I, have to, I have to find my, my willingness to obey and to take joy in that creation to, like, to, really, uh, to really pursue that the way he pursues his ladybugs. Yeah. And I love the perspective that you give to us that even though you're saying, well, God may have given you that idea for the 100 cupboards idea, um, in a sense, yeah. he gives everyone the ideas because there's an author behind every author and there's a musician yeah. behind every musician. And so sometimes we, we, we can look back and say, well, wait a minute. Uh, God gave the, that idea to Michael Jackson or to Billy Joel or to Steven Spielberg or somebody else. Whether they ever yeah. acknowledged him or not, God is actually making a movie and writing a song behind the movie makers and behind the songwriters. Yep. Nate, Nate on, on a practical level, what about the people who say, I'm an idea guy, but I have trouble executing? H have you ever related to that? Maybe you can write, but uh, was movie making a struggle? And how did you get past that? The thing you have to learn really, really rapidly is when to lay stuff down and how to be really persistent and, and have no quit that you're really going to go, you're driven. But 
don't spend all your time shaking the locked door of creativity when there might be one unlocked right next to you. Every father is those is the first like two to three chapters of the life story of their children. So if somebody's going to write a biography of one of your kids, like one of your kids, their dad is a huge piece, a huge player in those early chapters. And, and you're responsible to create those things. Um, God is so wild in his uh, grace and in what he gives us to do that he'll give us a little baby and there's no permit. It's like the wildest performance art of all time. We're sitting here with a child and he says, here, create a childhood. Like create, just go, create a childhood and go for 18 years. This is an 18 year piece of performance art. Like where you're going to like the, the mood of the home, the atmosphere of the bedroom, everything else is like, go 18 year art piece. Oh, and here's another one. Do both of them at the same time. Uh, and you're like, you know what? I think I want to define this 18 year art piece by yelling about the milk or closing the fridge or like, you know, like mm. doing that kind of stuff instead of really bringing joy and exuberance uh, and, and imitating God in this creativity. So whenever I'm really up against something that I, I'm having trouble, I'm struggling. Like, how do I write this? How do I get this? How do I, how do I do it? I do two things. One, I take a shower in pitch black so that I can't like lose focus or, or get distracted. I'll turn the lights off. I limit my, my sensory uh, receptors I just have heat and darkness and I just kind of just sit there and ponder it, just think on it and then just see like where it naturally goes. I let it just try to find the fit. And it's so many times it clicks and, and opens, but parallel to that, I try to refocus my efforts on those things I know I'm supposed to be doing. Cause when you're really stuck, there's, you have to ask yourself, am I supposed to be doing this? Am I supposed to write this massive novel? Am I supposed to write this film? Oh mm. uh, Yeah. And so I refocus my efforts on being faithful in a little, faithful with those little moments, like making sure that when my daughter gets home from school, that I am a, a joyful and pleasant and loving father in those scenes. And if I can write those scenes well, if I can execute those scenes well, I'll be able to execute much bigger scenes well. It's like, but I, I, I really just try to relax my mind in a dark place and see if I can find the Tetris fit, make it click and barge forward. And then also where those, those places where I'm commanded by God to create, I need to go make sure I'm doing a good job creating in those areas in obedience, like in a way that imitates him. Mm. Nate, we've talked about the theological framework uh, for creativity. We've talked about the practical tips. Now, let, let, let's just talk about the dream that so many people have. If our creativity is supposed to be pointing people to the creator, is it selfish to want the next big blockbuster? Is, is, it, is it just the wrong idea to say, I hope this is my big break? No, that's not, it's not wrong. It's, it's fine, but you have to check your motives, right? You always will have to check your motives. And this is where anybody who wants the next big blockbuster needs to read Ecclesiastes. Like they, just, they need to go read it and have that in their bones. Like Ecclesiastes needs to be in their bones because nobody got a bigger blockbuster than Solomon. Like so Solomon's blockbuster... Like he had everything. This guy had everything. So there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm baking the best meal I can bake. And I hope God blesses this and reaches hundreds of millions of people with this. And if he does, that comes with fame and money. Like those are byproducts. The fame and money, those are things that will just happen. 
because God like multiplied your your creation and reached so many people with yeah. it. That's great. It's fine. It's fine. You'll have to resist all the temptations that come from those things. But read Ecclesiastes. But if you're saying, I'm trying to get famous, I'm trying to get rich, that is an immediate red flag. It's you know, sort of an immediate red flag of why are you in this really? Like why, like why this? Why are you what are you what's really motivating you? Is it because I've really studied God's natural revelation. I've really looked at everything he's created and I want to imitate him and how I create. Is it that? Or is it, I want to be the coolest kid on the block. I want to be the coolest kid on the West coast. I want to be the coolest kid in the world. Uh, and that's a completely different framework. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.